great to see you here this morning. I realize many of you are here for the first time. Perhaps this is the first time you've ever been to even a church and wonder what uh, Christianity is all about. And of course, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. And I would give you a quick snapshot of the birth story. Uh, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The story contains visit by an angel to Mary and Joseph to lay out the plan of God and to calm their fears. When it came time to give birth, many of you know the story, that there was no room for them in the inn. But when it was all said and done, Jesus was born and wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The story continues on with visits from the shepherds and eventually the wise men. The Son of God has been born and he came to save his people from their sin. And that's a story that maybe you've never heard before. That's a story you've heard many times since you were a young child. But as we think about the birth of Jesus, this morning I want to expand your understanding by asking one simple question. And the question is this. Where is Jesus now? Where is Jesus now? I think the present location of Jesus helps fill in the story and gives us a bigger picture of his birth and his life. In order to get a glimpse of Jesus, we're going to do something that we normally do, and that's we go through books of the Bible, and right now we're going through the book of Revelation. And so this morning we're going to look at Revelation again. And right now we find ourselves in chapter 5. You have a Bible, you can turn there, look on someone next to you, or just listen. Two weeks ago, we looked at chapter 4. We got this peek inside heaven into the very throne room of God, and that vision continues this morning with chapter 5. So let's go ahead and stand, and I'll, I'll read the chapter to you. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, 
numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You may be seated. That's a lot to take in. Perhaps you would like a little structure to help you follow along in the passage. I have one for you if you find that to be helpful. The, the question they're asking in the first part is, who is worthy to open the scroll? And the second part says, the slain lamb is worthy to open the scroll. And the third part is, the slain lamb receives universal worship. That's kind of what the passage is getting at. Who can open this scroll? Ah, it's the slain lamb. Now the slain lamb receives worship. What does all that mean? And what does a slain lamb have to do with the baby Jesus? That's where we're going this morning. Pick it up once again in verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Once again, we're in the midst of this heavenly vision of God on his throne that started back in chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul has shown uh, the glorious realm of heaven. And now he sees in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written in the front and the back with seven seals. This is what it would look like. It wouldn't look like a book. Let me put an image up for you. You can see the image of what this scroll may have looked like with the seven seals, the writing on the front and the back. Now the contents of this scroll are not revealed in this chapter but they are disclosed in the chapters that are to follow. And what's contained in this scroll are the judgments of God and also the vindication of his people. And in a sense, this scroll contains God's plan for the world. You could even call it God's playbook. And every single one of you are likely in this scroll as God has a plan for your life. Think about Psalm 139.16 that says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So you're probably in this scroll. But the main point of the scroll is, is as it is opened, there are judgments that break out all around the world, and there's a vindication of God's people. Verse 2, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? During this time, a scroll would have those seals on it, and the seals would often have some type of indentation in the wax holding it together, showing who it was from, and also perhaps showing who was authorized to open these seals and reveal the contents of the scroll. Basically what they need right now, they need someone who is qualified to break the seals and open the scroll. They need someone qualified to reveal it and to fulfill it. They need someone to not only break the seals and show us what's in this scroll, but they need someone to actually fulfill the contents of the scroll and make it happen. And unfortunately, so far in heaven, no one is found who can open this scroll. Verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth 
or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. No one is worthy. No one is qualified so far to open God's playbook and the plan for the world. And this reality that there is no one to reveal it and to fulfill it brings John, the Apostle John, who wrote this letter, brings him to tears. And he starts to cry. Look at verse 4. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John begins to cry because no one's worthy to open it. And, And I read this, I'm like, John, what's your deal? Why are you weeping loudly? Why are you crying? And I think the reason why John is crying is that John feels that God's plan has stalled out. As we have seen from chapters 2 and 3, the churches are undergoing a variety of persecutions and false teachings. And there is a variety of suffering, even death for many Christians. And John feels that until these seals are broken, then the church will continue to suffer and the enemy will appear to prosper. And at this point, he's crying because he feels that God's plan has stalled out. Is there anyone here right now, you look at your life, and you feel like that God's plan for your life has stalled out? You had some momentum, you had some traction, you were growing in the Lord, you had this plan, but right now, where you're at, you feel as if God's plan has stalled out. Like right now, things may seem a little foggy in your life. I've been asked a few times this past year how I'm doing, and, and, and I say, you know, I, things seem a little foggy. I'm not quite sure what's happening here. I'm not quite sure what's next. I was driving a couple weeks ago in the fog, and I could barely see. I texted my son. I said, be careful going to school. It is hard to see. I'm familiar with the area, but I could barely see in front of me. And if it's foggy for you right now, There's some of you who may even feel, you may even go as far as to say, it feels as if God's plan for my life has stalled out. What do you do? If you're feeling like that, what do you do? Well, let's see what happens for John. Look, look what's said to the weeping John. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. God's plan's not stalled out. Someone has shown up on the scene who can reveal it and fulfill it. And his name is obviously Jesus. But here he's described, did you see it? He's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. These are references to the background Uh, of Jesus as he is descended of King David who would come through the line of Judah who was one of Jacob's son. But the terminology of a lion is that of an eternally powerful ruler. Jesus is the one who can not only open the scroll but enact its contents. He can reveal it and fulfill it because he is the one who's conquered. It's like it's being said to John, John, stop crying. Someone is here. Look 
at this conquering, eternal ruler from the line of Judah. He is a lion. Look at the conqueror. God's plan has not stalled out. And I say to you, God's plan is not stalled out for your life. Look to this one, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at how you're going to pull off your plan for your life because when it is stalled out, he's saying, look, look elsewhere. Look to the one, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has conquered. Well, let's spell this out a little bit more. Come on, I want to know more. What do we mean by this conquering? Look at verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. We're in the throne room of God. The elders are probably these martyred Christians, these four living creatures we saw in chapter 4. It's the highest order of angels in the seraphim and cherubim. And get this, in the midst of all this is a standing lamb. What an image, a standing lamb. And this, this lamb is a lamb that appears to be slain, which is a uh, a reference to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So apparently that the wounds of Christ are visible in heaven. But instead of a little lamb slaughtered for sin, we have Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who has been slaughtered in the place of sinners. Now, it's interesting, if you put verse 5 and verse 6 together, you're going to see a crazy paradox. And the paradox is this. The lion is the slain lamb. Did you catch that? The lion is the slain lamb. And we are told that the lion conquered by being the slain lamb. And so you put it together, and we see Jesus on the cross, and we think, Jesus on the cross, the slain lamb, has got to be the one who is the conquering lamb. That on the cross, he conquered sin. On the cross, he conquered death. And on the cross, he conquered the devil through his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And now he is the ascendant, standing, slain lamb. And we get this image of horns, which is his power. The image of eyes, which is he can see all. That Jesus is this one who is the conquering, slain lamb. And he is the one who is authorized to open this scroll. Look at it again. Look at verse 7. It said, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The conquering land takes this scroll. He's the one that can open it. He's the one that can reveal its contents. He's the one that can fulfill the context. He is authorized. He is qualified. He is worthy to carry out the judgment of God and vindicate God's people. God's plan has not stalled out because the slain lamb is the conquering lamb. He is now resurrected, exalted to the right hand of the Father. He is the one who can enact God's plan until the end of the world. God's plan is not stalled out. God's plan for this world has not stalled out, and God's plan for your life has not stalled out. This past fall... My, my family, which my wife and I, my two oldest children, we've been watching a show called This Is Us. Anybody watching that? Yeah, there's a few of you watching This Is Us. I'm not going to get into the details. But the story of three siblings born in 1980, so they're all 36. If you watch the show, these, these three siblings, um, triplets, go watch the show to figure that one out, but they are all a mess. 
they have challenges. They have problems. And what makes the show so powerful is that they'll keep doing flashbacks to when they were younger to show how they were raised and the challenges they had when they were young and the way their parents interact with them and the way they interacted with one another carries on into adulthood. And that's what makes the show so powerful. Because what, like, what many of us want to do is that we think that once we hit adulthood, it, it's a fresh start. Anybody think that once I got to college, it was going to be a fresh start? I'm going to be a new person. It's brand new. My past is not going to affect me. And what makes this show powerful is that many of us realize, you know, that our, our past does affect us. I got saved at 19. And the old is gone, the new is come, absolutely. But there's something about the way that we were raised, stuff that happened to us in the past, still kind of lingers around. And if you're an adult, and when you first start to realize that, that some of the issues of your past are still messing with you, like my parents were divorced when I was 14, and I, I kind of realized how I went to, into survival mode. And I'm still sometimes doing that survival mode now. And when you first start realizing that some of your past stuff is still lingering around, you will often feel stalled out. You'll feel like your life just comes to a halt. But know this. It's all part of God's plan for you. And God is going to work through the pain, through the mess, and he's going to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And even when you feel stalled out, even from all your past stuff, God is not stalled at all. It's part of the plan. And it's part of the plan here for John and for the church. So what's the response? You realize, okay, God's still working here. He's still doing something, even in the mess. What is the response? Well, the response is, appropriately, worship. Verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the Lamb takes this scroll and he's getting worshipped because he's God. Jesus is God. He's receiving all the praise. And the four living creatures, the elders, they're all falling down and their worship is filled with harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Isn't that really cool to know that your prayers go up before God as worship? We know from the Old Testament in Psalm 141, verse 2, it says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And the prayers in this context are the prayers of suffering Christians. As they're being persecuted, many of them are dying on earth. They may be thinking, God, I'm praying, but my friends are being killed and I'm being persecuted for my faith. And many of the Christians on the earth may be wondering, are my prayers stalling out? <laughs> you ever felt that way with your own prayers? That they're just going up and they're hitting the ceiling and they're coming back down upon you. I, I, that's what I feel like sometimes. Like right now, I just want to tell you, I, I'm, having, I'm having problems with one of my kids. Anybody ever... Parents, anybody? Anybody with me? All right, none of you are with me, all right? I'm having problems with one of my kids, and I, and I don't think it's appropriate to say who it is, but he <laughs> is not in here right now. He is down below in the five-year-old class. Been a variety of challenges. I, I, he, 
He has eyes for me. He stalks me. He wants me. And there's a variety of challenges. And it, it has turned my life into times of prayer. And to think that my prayers, they're not stalling out. They're going up before the Lord. Same with yours. And same with the prayers of the church here. They're not stalling out. They're going up before the Lord, and, and God receives them as worship. <laughs> now it's time for a new song. Look at verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Sometimes in the Bible, when you, you have a new song to mark a new event, when people have, in the Old Testament were redeemed out of Egypt, Moses wrote a song. And here we have a song about the worthiness of the Lamb. And, and, and the song pretty much goes uh, in three parts. It talks about Jesus, who was slain. It talks about Jesus ransoming people from all over the world. And Jesus making them priests and worshipers. So it talks about the lamb slain, Jesus. And he did this so that he can ransom people, save people from all over the world, and then turn them into worshipers. You get the three part of the song? And the reason why he is the one who is worshipped here is it has to do that Jesus came to save people no matter their background. He came to save and redeem a multi-ethnic multitude. As it has been said, the gospel levels all notions of racial superiority because it declares that all people stand in the same need of a Savior. From all over the world, Jesus is saving sinners and he is turning sinners into worshipers. Let me tell you how he's doing that. I'll say it again. From all over the world, Jesus is saving sinners from all over the world, and he's turning them into worshipers. And this is how he's doing it. Is, let's make things really, really simple, okay? Uh, th throughout raising kids, I've, I've done something with them called a catechism. A catechism is where you ask a question, and they give you an answer, and you work through questions and answers as you are working through creation all the way to Christ coming back one day. And so the questions will go like this. I ask the question, they give the answer, okay? So right now I'm doing it with my five-year-old who I mentioned earlier, okay? So the question, first one's this, who made you? And he'll say, God. What else did God make? And he'll say, God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? And he'll say, for his own glory. So, so you're working through this. So God created humans, and he created us to worship him, to praise him, to give him glory. But we don't do that. And so I asked this next question. I've always loved it. It's always been my favorite one. I love asking kids this, and I love their answer. It's, it's this question about their sinfulness. And the question is this. How sinful are you by nature? And my little five-year-old would say, I am corrupt in every part of my being. And all the parents said, amen. <laughs> yes, you are, little boy. Yeah. 
Love that answer. I love that answer. But then it moves on, right? It moves on to the redemption of Jesus Christ. He was born a baby, but he didn't stay baby. He lived a perfect life, and Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and rose again. And the good news is, through repentance and faith, you can be brought back to God, reconciled to God, and turned into a worshiper. Did you see how it worked? The slam lane, the, 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 the lamb who has who's been slain. He's crucified, right? That was a good one. He's crucified. And through reconciliation through faith, we're now turned into priests who worship. Such a good news. Such a great gospel. Verse 11. Let's finish it on up. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of of thousands. Now the living creatures and the elders are joined by angels and it, it talks about myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And I, I wasn't quite sure what it was talking about, so I emailed a guy in our congregation who's a math guy. Some of you math people. He's a math guy. His name is Vlad. You know Vlad, right? It's Vlad's last day. Go bless him today. Last day with us. Very sad. Um, so I asked Vlad, I said, Vlad, is this theoretical math? And Vlad gave me back an answer. This is what he said, and I quote. <laughs> he said, this is actually pretty concrete, so I would categorize it as applied math. <laughs> of course you would. It is interesting that in terms of order of magnitude, thousands of thousands, so millions, is pretty negligible compared to myriads of myriads, hundreds of millions. So it sounds like John is trying to somehow convey the abundance using this expression. And then he adds this. Still, I wonder what theoretical math will be like in heaven once we see face to face. <laughs> I've wondered that before as well. <laughs> Thanks, Vlad. Uh, but he's talking about this abundance, abundance of worshipers. And look what they are proclaiming in, in verse 12 saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They are ascribing to the Lamb the sevenfold praise of power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And they finish it up in verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. All praise and glory and honor going to the Father on the throne and the Lamb. And God receives this fourfold praise of blessing, honor, glory and might forever and ever. And you've got to wonder why all this praise it's because the conquering lamb will finish history by redeeming his people and bringing judgment. Jesus will bring forth the judgments on the wicked and the salvation to those he is saving. In no way, shape, or form has God's plan stalled out. God's plan did not stall out when there was no room for Mary and Joseph in the end. Jesus was born. God's plan didn't stall out as King Herod tried to kill Jesus. 
God's plan didn't stall out when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. God's plan didn't stall out as the religious leaders constantly opposed Jesus. God's plan didn't stall out when the crowds wanted Jesus dead. And God's plan, plan did not stall out when Jesus was beaten and nailed to the cross. And God's plan did not stall out when Jesus bore the wrath of God to the end. And God's plan did not stall out when he was buried because we know that he rose three days later and God's plan has not stalled out as Jesus has sent it to the right hand of the Father and God's plan has not stalled out as his church has been suffering for 2,000 years. It's not done. God's plan is not done. It is not stalled out. It has started from the very beginning and it's continuing throughout redemptive history. Christ is coming back because his plan has not stalled out. That's the reality. And that's just it. We can agree with that. We believe that God has a plan that he is working through history. And we know Christ is coming back. But when it comes to our own personal lives, we're not so sure. And it feels as if we're stuck and his plan has stalled. And if you feel like that here this morning, you need to know that is not the case God still has a plan for you. If, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, we know from the Bible that God desires for you to know him through Jesus. That's his plan, for you to know the Father through putting your faith in Jesus. And if you are a Christian and you're feeling like things have stalled out, God is not done with you, and you can know that by looking at the conquering lamb. He still has a plan. There still is movement in your life. And it's a good plan. And it's a great plan. And when you look at Christ and what he has done, may it cause every single one of us to worship and praise him and give him glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for the man or the woman here this morning who just feels like life has stopped for them. Perhaps something in their past will not let them go. They feel as if there's no freedom. They feel as if they're going to be swallowed up by all the pain. Let them know that you have not left them, you have not forsaken them, that you care for them, and you are still working for good in their life and for your glory. Bring a word of encouragement to them this day through your word. Encourage them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may they see Jesus who died for them, who rose again from them, who will come again one day. That there is a great plan taking place in all the earth. And there is a great plan even taking place in my life and in their life. And may we believe it and trust and rely upon you. In Christ's name, amen.